Well, good morning, Salem Hiders and guests. We're so glad that you're joining us for worship today. We hope that you had a happy new year. And as we head into the new year, I know there's a couple of questions that people are asking. They're wondering, what is our church reopening plan looking like as we head into the new year? And Pastor Justin just this week had recorded a video message uh, addressing that, that if you haven't seen that, I'd encourage you to go take a look at on our church website. Another question is, are we having men's retreat this year? Well, we're not able to have our um, traditional men's retreat that we've had every year up to this point. What we're gonna do is we're gonna have something here at the church called Men's Charge. It's gonna be January 22nd and 23rd, and we're gonna be able to gather here in this very room, and we're gonna hear from God's word and, and hear really what we should be looking like and acting like as believers, especially as we head into this new year. So we encourage guys, go ahead and get signed up for that. Uh, we're going to have t-shirts available. If you want to be guaranteed a t-shirt, go ahead and sign up here in the next couple of days by January 5th. Well, this morning we have quite a treat for you. Some guests that we've had out from the past, Jordan and Kayla Grizzard, are going to lead us in worship today. So feel free to sing along, and then we'll hear from God's Word. Hey, Salem Heights, Jordan and Kayla Grizzard, and man, what an honor it is to be back with you, leading worship with you in this really crazy and challenging season. But, uh, and praise God for his provision and his goodness in this time. I want to just share a little bit of scripture with you and then jump off and, and lead worship with you. Yeah. Philippians 2 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory. I count on one thing The same God that never fails Will not fail me now You won't fail me now No waiting The same God who never lay Is working all things out You're working all things out Oh yes I Yes, I will. 
cast my mind to Calvary, where Jesus led and died for me. I see his wounds, his hands, his feet, my Savior all that curses Yeah. 
Well, good morning, church, and Happy New Year. It's so good to be with you, and if you are a guest this morning, we just want to thank you for joining us for church this morning, and I want to invite everyone to grab their Bibles and find the book of Acts in the New Testament. Chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning, and what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be laying some groundwork for a return to our study of this book in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And Last year, actually, we began a series following our study through the book of Luke, um, moving into the book of Acts, and we had completed the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts, and we were ready to head into chapter 13 when something called a global pandemic hit us. And so uh, we took a pause from this series to uh, focus on some other things that the Lord had laid on our heart over the last 10 months, but we are excited now to begin to uh, make our way back into this book. And so this morning I wanted to spend some time kind of hitting some of the highlights that we've seen through the first 12 chapters of our study and then draw our attention to a story we read out of chapter 4 that will kind of maybe give us some direction heading into this new year. Um, I think it's important that we take some time to do this because we've been out of the book of Acts. Perhaps you've been studying it at some point in your own personal devotion, but I'm reminded of a person who maybe uh, is coming into the new year and wanting to work out for the first time. Uh, it's always recommended that when we start exercising after a layoff that we start off easy. We, we lower our reps, we lower our weight, we might even restrict how long we do it to kind of get our body back into shape slowly and safely. And I think the true, the same is true for us as we head into Acts, looking at what it is, um, what is the point of it, who wrote it, and what is in it for us. Well, we remind ourselves here in the very first chapter of Acts that um, this book was written by Luke. Now, Luke was a doctor who wrote one of the gospel accounts of Jesus's life, and Luke wasn't an eyewitness of what happened in Jesus's life, but he had taken a time to investigate everything that had been said had happened in Jesus, um, things he had done, things he had said, and Luke had set out to investigate all those claims so that he could put together an orderly account. And he says in Luke chapter 1 that his goal is that anyone who would read his report or his gospel would be able to read it with certainty, that what they believe about Jesus is actually true. And so this same attention to detail we see Luke use in the book of Acts. Luke is starting off again, highlighting the fact that he set out to write an accurate account about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so Acts is a compilation of several significant events in the life of the early church. Things that God did through the apostles and then into the believers as he began to grow his church. And uh, Acts covers a span of years. It's not just one single event or like we see in some of the other New Testament letters, just uh, written at one time for one specific group. Acts is a historical narrative full of uh, many stories and many different characters. Now there are two apostles that are kind of highlighted in the Acts, one being Peter and one being Paul. But we know that they weren't the only two people that God used in the early church to launch uh, his ministry to take the gospel into the four corners of the earth. And so over the first 12 chapters, we kind of saw three significant or main movements uh, through those first 12 chapters. The first one was this. We saw the confirmation of a risen Savior. 
It tells us in chapter 1 of Acts that Jesus had, uh, again, risen from the dead. He was fully alive, and he showed himself to many people, giving them many convincing proofs. Uh, they were able to interact with Jesus. They were able to touch his resurrected, glorified body. They were able to uh, see him eat and interact with him. And they were convinced that Jesus truly had risen from the dead. And not only were they able to confirm that he had risen from the dead, they also were able to hear him. In Acts chapter 1, Luke says that Jesus restated his commission for his followers, that they are to go now and be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, taking this good news, the gospel, that Jesus Christ had come, he had been crucified on their behalf, buried in a tomb, but then had risen three days later to take that good news to the ends of the earth. We also see in chapter 1 that uh, Jesus makes a promise. In fact, it's the angels who are there after Jesus uh, ascends back into heaven. As he lifts off this earth and returns to heaven where he is now, there's a promise given to his followers by the angels that Jesus would soon return. So that first thing that we see is a confirmation of a risen Savior. The second thing we see in the first 12 chapters is the birth of the church. And this starts in chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit, whom Jesus promised would be sent by the Father to mankind, arrives. And the Holy Spirit fills those believers who are in Jerusalem waiting for the Holy Spirit to arrive and as promised, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells those believers, and the, and the early church is launched. From that point forward, we see incredible stories of Spirit-empowered followers of Jesus going out with courage and with this new zeal and taking that message of the good news both to the Jews and to the Gentiles, just as Jesus had asked them. The third thing we see in the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts is we see that there is a growing opposition to the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, this opposition starts with the apostles, and, and we're actually going to see today in our text in Acts chapter 4 that uh, Peter and John, who were two of the apostles that were cl very close to Jesus, are going to be uh, arrested, they're going to be uh, put on trial. Um, they're going to be uh, intimidated. And we see that there's this growing opposition to all those who are telling people that Jesus had risen from the dead. And that opposition doesn't just stop with the apostles. As the church begins to grow by the thousands, we read through the book of Acts that uh, that, uh, that opposition and that persecution moves from the apostles to the church at large. So we see these three significant movements in the first 12 chapters. We see the confirmation of a risen Savior, we see the birth of the church, and we see growing opposition to the proclamation of the gospel. Now, Acts is a historical narrative. What that means is that it's not just full of great theological content, but Acts is also full of a lot of practical examples for us to learn from and to read and consider and to apply to our own lives. Charles Ryrie uh, says this about Acts. He says, The doctrine of Acts is exemplified more in life than developed in a systematic statement. It is doctrine and practice. Thus the book shows us what men can do in the power of the risen Savior. So as we read Acts, we not only learn from these sermons of Peter and Paul, but we see an example of what it looks like to live a life 
tethered to the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a term that is repeatedly used as we read through Acts. We've seen it already in the first 12 chapters, and we're going to continue to see it as we now move forward in our study of the book of Acts. There is a term that is uh, repeatedly highlighted by Luke to describe these early church followers of Christ. And that term is boldness. And that's the term I want us to focus on this morning. Now, there's probably a lot of different ideas that come to mind when we think of the term boldness. Uh, For some, it it might just kind of remind us of something that stands out, um, something that is uh, potentially opinionated or strong. Uh, Sometimes we think of boldness as something that is contrarian. But the, the problem with those views of boldness is that they imply this level of arrogance or conceitedness in the person or thing that's being bold. The Greek word for boldness in the scriptures is parousia, and it has a different idea than this idea of being a contrarian or opinionated based on one's own understanding or idea. Uh, Michel Foucault, uh, the French philosopher, did an extensive work on this word in the Greek, parousia, and he offers this definition for boldness. Parousia occurs when a speaker at risk to himself or herself, speaks an unwelcome truth or gives unwelcome advice to a powerful person or group. This is a great definition for what we see in the lives of these early church believers throughout the book of Acts. They were taking the gospel that was not welcomed, that that people were rejecting, that people were getting uh, upset about, but they continued to deliver it. And the term that Paul, or excuse me, that Luke uses to explain this or describe how they did this was boldly. Ben Witherington, in his commentary on Acts, says that this term boldness is used throughout Acts and usually refers to the way the gospel was being shared. So when we see the word boldness used by Luke, he's referring to the way that people were sharing the good news, sharing the gospel. When they talked about Jesus, there was a boldness that was identified in them. Now this is a pretty incredible thing for us to see because if we remember back into the gospel accounts, towards the end of Jesus' life, just before he was going to be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and taken to be crucified, his followers fled. Even those closest to him ran away. They cowered. Even Peter, who said, Lord, I will never forsake you. I will not deny you. Everyone else can run away, but you will find me here. Even Peter denied Christ three times. And yet, now if we look at Peter in the book of Acts, something has changed. And as Peter begins to preach, and as Peter begins to teach, and he begins to speak to these people and answer their accusations. The word that Luke uses to describe how Peter is seen is now bold. Well, what changed in him? So that's what I'd like for us to consider. Where does this boldness come from in the lives of the followers we read about in the book of Acts? Now this morning, my goal isn't to give us a New Year's resolution of boldness. It's not to charge us to all go and be more bold in 2021. But I do want us to consider how is this boldness produced in the heart of a follower of Jesus Christ? What is it that leads to boldness? And so I believe our text this morning will provide an answer. So we're going to read Acts chapter 4, 
the verses 1 through 13. Would you follow along? While they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple police and the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of men came about 5,000. The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all the members of the high priestly family. After they had Peter and John stand before them, they began to question them. By what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man, by what means he was healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father God, as we turn our attention now to what it looks like to have bold faith, God, I pray that you would use your word to instruct us in this. God, that you would help us hear what you have for us today and that it would stir our affection for you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. The big idea that I want us to see from this story out of Acts chapter 4 is this. Biblical boldness is spirit-empowered and fostered by time spent with God. That first idea here, biblical boldness is spirit-empowered, is an important one for us to understand. Peter and John here faced opposition. It says here that the, the people, the, the Sadducees and the temple police and the priests were irritated. They were annoyed that Peter and John were talking to people about Jesus and claiming that he had risen from the dead. It goes on to say that they were then persecuted. They were arrested and seized and, and put into uh, the prison overnight because it was already evening. Um, all they had been doing is talking about Jesus. And then it says here that the next day they, they stood these two men and, and circled around them, this high priestly family, and they began to question them. And there's this intimidation that comes through uh, in their questioning. By what power did you do this? In what name did you do this? They're basically saying, what gives you the right? Who do you think you are? Now, I don't think this was surprising to Peter or John because Jesus predicted this. In John chapter 15, Jesus says this to his followers. Remember the word I spoke to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So here you have Peter and John. They have been used by God to heal a, a lame beggar that had been, uh, he's 40 years old. This, this man had been lame his whole life. People knew him. They had entered into this one part of the, uh, the gate and they would have seen him for years and years asking. And, and Peter is used by the Lord to heal this man. And as that drew attention to them and people began to come and investigate, who are these people that healed this man? Peter and John are 
talking about Christ. They're saying that it's through his power and it's in his name that this man has been healed. And so as they now face opposition for talking about Jesus, and then that opposition kind of escalates and turns into persecution as they are arrested and seized. And then it goes into intimidation as they try to get these men to change their opinion or to get them to stop what they're doing. Notice the response that we see in Peter. In verse 8 it says, Then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is an important point for us to see. Peter's boldness was not driven by his flesh, but produced by the Spirit. Peter could have responded in a lot of different ways to this questioning. He could have responded in his flesh. But what we know from Scripture is that when we respond out of our flesh, out of our own irritation, out of our own desires to uh, maybe defend or to push back, uh, oftentimes our flesh leads us to sin, or our flesh leads us to act in a way that's not glorifying to God. But that's not what Peter does here. No, his boldness, his ability to say the truth, even though it was unwelcomed and unwanted, even though they were trying to intimidate him, his boldness was produced by the Spirit of God. And this is true for all believers. Our power Our ability to be bold, our ability to stand up and be confident and to speak truthfully our convictions and and, and our trust in God and his word and Jesus Christ and the gospel comes from the Holy Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 8, Luke records in Acts that Jesus said this just before going back to heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I'm reminded of our phones. They are a great tool. We, we use them on a daily basis. And even though our world has gone to a lot of wireless technology, whether it's Bluetooth or other signal strength, we still required a power source for our phones to operate. So in all this thing, I mean, I remember growing up without cell phones. I remember, you know, having a home phone that had a line on it. It was constantly connected to the receiver that was connected to the wall that was connected to the phone line. Uh, there's been great advancements, obviously, in that technology to make us untethered. But the reality is, is that we have to, every night or maybe every couple of days, depending on how good your battery life is, we have to plug back into that power source. Our source of power that allows us to keep functioning is, is going to be through not itself, not in the phone itself. It can't recharge itself, but it has to connect to a power source. And there's a tether there. The same thing is true when it comes to boldness. Biblical boldness is tethered to the Spirit. You can be bold apart from God, but that boldness is going to look a lot different than a boldness that's produced by the Spirit of God in our life when we are connected to Him. You see, biblical boldness is not just stating our opinion, but it's confidently stating God's opinion in the face of opposition, persecution, and intimidation. And we need to pray that God would develop this in us. See, there is a boldness that we can kind of stir up in ourselves, but the kind of boldness that that Luke continues to identify in the lives of these believers throughout the book of Acts is a boldness that is produced by the Spirit of God. 
it goes on to say that after Peter and John had this encounter with these men and, and are released, it tells us later on in Acts chapter 4 that they went back and reported to the people what had happened and that they collectively got together and they began to pray to God for more boldness. Later on in chapter 4, verse 29, listen to what they say in their prayer. And now, Lord, consider their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. Listen to what it said here. He's not saying, Lord, they've been threatening me. I, I want to make sure I want to draw your attention to their threats, and I want you to make me bold to speak against it. That's not what he said here. He said, Lord, consider their threats. You're aware that they are trying to intimidate us. They're trying to get us to stop saying what is true. And God, would you make us bold to speak your word? Your word. See, spirit-produced boldness is always going to be Christ-centered. <laughs> Man-produced man boldness is always going to be self-centered. You and I need to pray for this type of boldness. God, would you fill me up? Would, you, would your spirit cause me to, to stand for truth, to speak your word boldly, to point people to you? Biblical boldness is always spirit-empowered. But the second thing we see here is that biblical boldness is fostered by time spent with God. I love verse 13 out of this text. It says, When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. The, the truth I want us to, to realize from that statement is that the more we are with Jesus, the bolder we become. You know, later on, it says that they, they took them and they recognized this boldness and they didn't know what to do. I think they had thought maybe bringing Peter, arresting Peter and John, putting them on this kind of fake trial and trying to intimidate them. They thought that maybe Peter and John would compromise. Maybe they would say, sorry, sorry, I, I won't say it anymore. But that's not what Peter did. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he boldly said, you want to know who in what power, what authority we do this? It's in the name of Jesus. And, and there is no other name by which man will be saved besides his. And so it says that they put Peter and John out and they conferred together. What should we do with these men? And so they said, let's just tell them not to do it again. And they brought them in and they, they threatened them and said, we, we order you, we command you to not speak of these things anymore. Stop telling people that Jesus has risen from the dead. And this is what Peter and John answer in verse 19. It says, Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. They, they, their confidence was in Christ. They could not help but share what they had experienced, what they had seen, what they had believed. It was real. See, their boldness wasn't just something that they were passionate about, an agenda that they were trying to push, or an idea that they wanted other people to accept. No, they, they wanted to share what they had experienced. Their confidence, their boldness, came from their time with a risen Christ. I was thinking about uh, what this, the picture that came to mind, a way to illustrate this idea, and I was 
for whatever reason, reminded of candy. And uh, I know that during different times of the year, there's different treats and different kind of candy that are collected. But I don't know if you've ever done this where you've kind of just taken any leftover candy and you've put it in either a Ziploc bag or a you know, Tupperware or something like that to store it and then open it up and eaten it. The thing that I've always realized is that when you take fruity candy and you put it with chocolate candy and you store it and put it away, the next time you eat chocolate candy, it's going to have a fruity taste to it. That, that proximity to being close to that fruity candy is going to change that chocolate candy every time. I think the same is true for believers. People can tell whether or not you and I have been with Jesus. And the way that they can tell is not because we uh, become more elite or we become more sophisticated. No, it comes out in this boldness that's just like, I, I got to tell you about Jesus. I, I, was, I was reading his word today. I was praying and talking with them today. And I, man, this is the thing that's just been impressive to me. This is the thing that has really excited me. Man, this is the thing that challenged me. This is the thing that I, I feel like I got to share with you today. When we are with Jesus, it makes a difference. And so biblical boldness will always draw people's attention to Jesus. People will be able to tell uh, that this passion that comes out of us, this confidence that comes out of us, this desire to, to share this truth with them is not because of selfish desires. No, it's, I, I want to point you to Jesus. And so the question for us this morning is, is this true about us? Is the boldness that people see in us drawing people's attention to the Lord? That is what we see throughout the book of Acts. That these New Testament believers, these people who had seen Jesus or now had maybe heard the gospel and received it, there was a boldness. There was, a, there was time spent with Christ that changed how they saw things, how they talked. And this boldness just came out of them. As they began to, to face opposition and, and began to face persecution and began to face intimidation, they were confident that Jesus was who he said he was. He did what he said he was going to do, and he could be trusted because there was no other name given to man by which we can be saved. And so this morning, as we kind of just wrap up, we're excited to head back into the book of Acts. And I think there's a lot more stories of spirit-driven believers leading in this early portion of the church. And I'm excited for us to get back into this study here in a few weeks. But we're also stepping into a new year. And, and I believe that God has called us to that same mission to now, filled with the Holy Spirit, go and tell that good news to everyone all the way to the ends of the earth. I know that I need to be constantly asking for the Lord to help me die to self and to put on the new man, walking now in a new power, the power of the Holy Spirit and not my own. And so I want to conclude this morning by just reading a, a prayer. It's a Puritan prayer. It's called New Year. And I think it kind of uh, wraps up well what we've been talking about this morning. It's a prayer that I'll, that I'll pray uh, for us as a church. Length of days does not profit me, except the days are passed in thy presence, in thy service to thy glory. 
Give me a grace that precedes, follows, guides, sustains, sanctifies, aids every hour, that I might not be one moment apart from thee, but may rely on thy spirit to supply every thought, speak every word, direct every step, prosper every work, build up every mode of faith, and give me a desire to show forth thy praise, testify thy love, advance thy kingdom. I launch my bark on the unknown waters of this year, with thee, O Father, as my harbor, thee, O Son, at my helm, thee, O Holy Spirit, filling my sails. Guide me to heaven with my loins girt, my lamp burning, my ear open to thy calls, my heart full of love, my soul free. Give me thy grace to sanctify me, thy comforts to cheer me, thy wisdom to teach, thy right hand to guide, thy counsel to instruct, thy law to judge, thy presence to stabilize. May thy fear be my awe, thy triumphs my joy. Father God, I just pray for our church this morning that as we consider this text, God, that there is a boldness that is produced in our lives by your Holy Spirit, God, a confidence to stand for truth, to stand with you, and to be your messengers to a, a broken and hurting world. God, I pray now as we enter into 2021, that God, that you would continue to cause us to be reflecting on where our boldness comes from. And God, I pray that you would cause us to be spirit-dependent not self-reliant, and that your Holy Spirit, as it begins to fill us with this boldness, that, God, we would, we would stand with you and that we would share this truth with all that who need to hear it. And that, God, we would, we would consider that, that our boldness is going to be in direct relation to the time spent with you, and that, God, we would make that our aim, that we would every day be with you, and that you would stir in us a confidence that will help us prevail. God, we love you. We thank you for the book of Acts, and we look forward now to starting this study again. We pray for your guidance and all that you're going to teach us, and we pray it in your son's beautiful name.